Welcome to Kilts and Culture with USA Kilts. We're here to talk about all things Highland dress, the cultures and the heritage that created it, and how to enjoy the kilt in the 21st century. From tartan and trues to haggis and history, we cover it all. So sit back, grab your beverage of choice, and enjoy the show. Howdy, everybody. Welcome to Kilts and Culture. I am your host, Rocky, and this is not Eric. This is Mac. Um, Mac's usually behind the other thing over there, um, but this time he's over here because Eric's on vacation. Today, we have a special treat. We have Lucas, the man Mitch, over there, and he'll, he'll be down here somewhere on the screen at some point. Um, there he is. There's my buddy Lucas. Getting the angle right is interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, dude, that's, that's horrible. It's, you, when we were on the, the three yeah. different screens, forget about it. So, anyway. <clears throat> All right. Today, we have a special treat. We have Copper Fox Bell Grove 1797. This was given to us by our uh, friend, uh, viewer of the show, Brett Anderson. So, we are going to give you our honest opinion on this. We did try the other co another Copper Fox we one. Did. A few months back, um, did we like it? I forget. I don't remember anymore. Okay, nice. we should have rolled. We should looked at uh, some footage. <laughs> Research. <laughs> we? we're, not, we're not professional. <laughs> All right. So that being said, let's let's. This thing has like wax on the top here. Mm. So I'm I'm using a thing because it got my hands all waxy and sticky and stuff. Um. All right. Here we go. So we got our little. Highly coveted, off sought after, USA kilts, Glen Cairn glasses. Lucas, do you want a lot, a little, or a medium? I would go for medium, please. Okay. Well, you're gonna get what I'm for. <laughs> I asked the question. I realized I really can't I will see what I'm pouring. Not complain either way. So, all right, come on around this side, Mr. Mac. One for you. Why? Thank um, you. All right. I guess he's gonna get Lucas's. It's uh, all right. And we got a little bit of. Thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on putting the water in until I try it first. So, <clears throat> all right. What do we got on the nose? I don't know. I'm getting a little citrusy. I was gonna say like leathery almost. Swedish. Lucas, yeah. what are you getting on the nose there? Um. Leathery was 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 a good observation, Thank but you. but uh, yeah, well said. Um, I consider myself a professional. Yeah, yeah, we're you guys are not messing around. Um, little little bit of little bit of just brightness, I'll call it, just a, a warm welcome, Fair. if you will. A smell of brightness. Yes, I smell the sun. My my, my descriptions are always going to be I very artistic. <laughs> Ralph Wiggum. <laughs> <laughs> this smells bright. We we have a we have a, a comment from Stephen who says smells like bad choices and good times. Yes. <laughs> I smell the purple. <laughs> and I taste the uh, the green. So, all right. Non hatch. What we taste? That's woody. Yeah. It's a lot of woody. 
I've been to Bell Grove. There's not that many trees there. <laughs> now you know they, why. They cut yeah, them all down all to this. make the whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, after I'm getting a little sweet, back of the mouth, mm-hmm. um, like sweetie tarty kind of thing on the sides. Bernie going down. You gotta um, get through all that pulp first. That's yeah. a lot of. That's yeah. a lot of tree. I like, I like the chew muscotch. You <laughs> just squeeze it out and make paper. Ugh. It's all right. Well, it's not scotch. It's whiskey. Excuse me. All right, Lucas. Are you tasting anything? Let's um, let's try an instant replay. Here we go. I'm gonna water it down now too. Maybe we didn't let it breathe enough. Mm. Little Bernie. Hmm. A few drops of water. A few drops of water. Yeah, let's see if this kind of cuts the the harsh down a bit. A little. Not much. Not much. Yeah. A little bit. I th- I want to say we liked the other Copper Fox. Yeah. I think, I think we did. Yeah. I'm going to say 7, 8. Oh, yeah. But yeah. definitely really sweetens up in a hurry, though, at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe tobacco-y kind of sweetness. Maybe I'm letting the, the fact it's from Virginia kind of color my brain a little bit. Did you say you had uh, notes on it, Lucas, or no? I have... You heard that head rattle? <laughs> I have a description here, which I'll read for you. I, I read it and then forgot it, so it wouldn't influence my decision. I'm trying to be unbiased here. All hands on deck. Belgrove. 1797 whiskey, 47% alcohol. Signature pot, stilled, unaged whiskey, based on corn, oats, and malted barley. Made from a modern version of the recipe used at Belgrove Plantation in the 18th century. Major Isaac Height of Belgrove in Virginia's Shenandoah Valley raised all the grains that went into his whiskey and was lauded for the progressive agricultural practices he employed. I also went on their website and found out that a portion of all of their proceeds go to preservation and education. And I say to you, what tastes better than passing on history to the next generation? They could probably raise more money to give if this tasted better. <laughs> um, is it supposed it's... to taste like Cedar Creek Battlefield? <laughs> like the... Belgrove, which is on the corner, uh, Cedar Creek Battlefield and Belgrove Plantation is on the corner of that battlefield. Um, it's the, the fact that you just said it's not aged makes sense to me. That's, yes. that's a large part yes. of why it's probably so harsh. Um, it's not so, so harsh. But it's definitely not smooth at all. No. Um, Doesn't have that weight of aged whiskeys, I would say. Mm -mm. No, it definitely comes in hard and... Hard and fast. It does, and then it it goes away. Like, the more I'm sitting here, like, it's just faded away. Mm. I'm still still feeling, like, the whole track down. Like, Hmm. like, Like a river of broken glass 
in hot lava <laughs> as it goes down the esophagus. Um, not quite that bad, but not too far off. Um, I'll still drink it. The, uh, yeah, so I'm... Um, I could be more impressed. It leaves at least something to be desired. Mm. Agreed. <clears throat> All right. I, I was I was expecting some kind of like old timey recipe, you know, rev or you know, Revolutionary War you know, period esque. Mm. You know, this is the you know the founders did. I don't know something. Um, yeah, no, no. They need spruce beer for that. Beer. I know nothing about spruce beer. So. That's that's what the that's what our colonial yeah. relatives would have drank. Yes. Fair. Um, so, all right, <clears throat> score it, Lucas. One to ten. What's your score? We're going to three. Three point zero. Point three. Three point three. Three point three. Okay. Okay. Not, not something I would go out of my way for. Okay. Sorry to say. Okay. Mac, I'm gonna go three point nine. Seven. Three point nine seven. Getting very specific. Mm -hmm. Um I could I could get weirder than Mac and I'm like, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna rate it pi. Three point one nine. Um the I'm gonna say I'm in I'm in the threes as well. Probably like three seven or three eight. Nothing I'll call it three eight. Um it's yeah. It's, it's definitely below average for me. Not a big fan. Mm -hmm. I will still drink it. I'm not a big fan. I may have a second to see if I change my mind later. <laughs> and a third just to verify? Third, you know, <laughs> well, you know, you have to have the control. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, true. It's a, it's a scientific experiment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are highly, highly scientific here. <laughs> um, very good. All right, boys and girls, you know the drill. Um, put your questions in the comments. As always, we are your humble servants here to answer whatever questions you have. Um, before we start, I'd like to say happy 4th of July to mm -hmm. everybody. It's the second, so it's close enough. Um, this is our closest show to 4th of July. Um, today, I am rocking the Federal Memorial Tartan in honor of my great-great-something grandfather who fought at Gettysburg and was shot through the leg on the first day. Nothing like pick a strip. Nothing. He was in the freaking hospital for you know, the cool stuff. But uh, yes, from Pennsylvania, my great grandfather. So, cheers. The odd thing is, I had a relative that was also Gettysburg, who was also shot on the first day, um, and was a Camp, Camp Letterman. They were probably both a Camp Letterman. Nice. Uh, Mine was from. I think it was. I think it was my side that he was must or he was you know he joined up in Egypt, Pennsylvania. Well, Camp Letterman would have been the hospital, the field hospital. That right, was right, right. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's where the where the from, current but... Sheets is right now, so they would have been set up at Sheets. You had to bring up Sheets. <laughs> right. Sheets, for those that don't know, it is the arch enemy of Wawa. Yes, it is. Yes, don't... it's superior, but that's fine. <laughs> I will bash this bottle over your head twice on Sundays. Sheets. Sheets. Yeah, I want to take 27 minutes to type in my order. Well, I like fries on my sandwich. Shut up. Get out of here. Combat, I think, would increase yeah. viewership. So exactly. let's, let's get anger. that going. Indeed. Yeah. So anyway, so I am wearing the Federal Memorial Tartan today. Mr. Mack, what do you have on there? I have Stuart Hunting Ancient on today. 
Very nice. Mr. Lucas, what do you have on the back there behind the camera? I am actually wearing the Kildare Crest Tartan. Ooh. Yeah. It's very good. Who designed that? Do you recall oh. who that was? Uh, Gaelic themes. But, Gaelic. Okay, yeah. gotcha. The, uh, <laughs> no, um, yeah. Unfortunately, there's none of it left. So, Cameron Waldron, if you're watching, <laughs> so sorry. It's so sorry. funny that you mentioned that because there was a comment to that effect already. Awesome. So it looks like we're right on schedule. Good to hear. <laughs> but that's what custom weaves are for. <clears throat> exactly. Right? Very good. All right, Mr. Mac, why don't you start us out? What do we got? First question. All right. So we have uh, Lewis Collingwood asking, when wearing a kilt pin, what is the best way not to make big holes in your kilt? Not to make big holes in the kilt. Um, be gentle with it. Um, the, I, a couple things. Number one, when you're wearing a kilt pin, be careful and don't just stab it through the kilt. I'd actually say kind of work it in so you're kind of pushing it between the individual threads that make up the warp and the weft. <clears throat> Some people like to say for, for their kilts, you know, I buy a kilt pin for every kilt. I put one kilt pin on that kilt. That's the kilt pin that lives on there. I don't take it on. I don't take it off. It just stays on there. Um, in my mind, it's actually a little bit counterintuitive. The If you put on one kilt pin on your kilt and you never change it out, you're, you've decided where that kilt pin's going to go and where that hole is going to go. And if you don't remove it, it's gonna kind of like sag over time. Or if you catch it on something a couple times in a row, it's going to kind of, you know, push apart things there. My estimation, it probably makes more sense to actually take your kilt pin off every time you're done wearing it and put it on a slightly different location or you know you're not you're not getting to the exact same you know four thread cross area um, but put it in a slightly different location you know here then move it a quarter inch up a quarter inch in whatever um, each time that way you don't have to worry about it actually you know making the material droop if you leave it in your closet for months and years at a time over time um, yeah that's kind of what I would do is just be gentle and careful and, you know, work the pin into the fabric and take it off and put it on every time you want to wear it. Yeah, because if you leave it there, it's going to start on out the, that that opening. Um, one thing we noticed, uh, actually I noticed uh, yesterday or the day before, we had a gentleman come in that had um, a kilt pin that actually got caught on, on something and it ripped out the front apron. So... One of the things that I would suggest doing is on the back side, there's multiple layers that you're going through. Make sure that that kilt pin is going through the thicker part, not the single layer, because that's that's one thing that he he did was he had it on a single layer and that just tore out real easy. Yeah. Um, but and then we there's all kinds of backings that we've seen people do, and I think Lucas, I don't know if you remember, it was it was Cameron, one of our Cameron. Uh, uh, they had one of their kilts in that had uh, a, like a plastic behind it that they sung this, put the swing arm through to help give it some a little bit some more weight, su yeah. more support from little, the back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now I think that's actually a very. I don't know if that would, how much that would actually affect it because that piece of plastic wouldn't be in all the way up to the top of the kilt, so it's not hanging from that piece of plastic. It probably helps some, but to mm -hmm. varying degrees. Um, but putting the pin through multiple layers. Yes. I agree. That's another very good point. Yeah, not just through just through the front apron, like the front of the front apron, but by the fringe, you know, the stuff on the back there. Make sure it's through a few layers of cloth. Yeah, not the under apron, but the few layers of cloth by the fringe on the on the front mm -hmm. apron. Yeah, that's a very good point. All right, Mr. Lucas. Yes. 
we have, <clears throat> well, first of all, a statement from a gentleman who goes by the name of the Kilted Klingon, who reminds us of a couple holidays going on. Happy belated Canada Day, early Independence Day, and Roswell Day, which is July 2nd today. Hmm. Roswell Day, is that the day Roswell where everyone was supposed to go to Roswell? New Mexico to storm that um, area. I, area fifty one. I think it's the the date of the event actually, but you've okay. you've brought up grounds to create a new holiday. So, so, so. Well, you didn't see that the other year when it was like oh, yeah. everyone was supposed yeah, to yeah to, to memorialize that. I think that needs to be established. Well, it wasn't to memorialize; it was to storm the gates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, what I'm saying with a holiday to memorialize the event. Ah, uh, I mean, yes, We want yes. people to remember to memorialize the dozens on. who gave their time. That <laughs> one <laughs> nobody died. Um, no. So we got a new graphic. We need to have like a little little spaceship fly behind us. Yeah. <laughs> like fire bullets yeah. out of somewhere. <laughs> Tom's already over there cringing like, I don't want to make yeah. this thing happen. Oh, well. Sorry, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, right. we have a question from Stephen Funk, who's also celebrating his anniversary with his wife today. So happy anniversary, Congratulations. Mm -hmm. And his question, his question is, I am looking at getting my first kilt soon, and I was looking at the pub casuals, one of our casual kilts. Are those kilts the ones that can be washed with other clothes? I have two kids and plan on working out, hiking, and overall being active. So he sounds like a lifestyler kind of kilt yep, guy. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, the, uh, uh, our casual kilts, semi-traditional kilts, um, anything made from polyviscose um, or even beyond us, anything that's, you know, a... Uh, 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 polyester, you know, polyrayon, acrylic kind of thing. Yes, those can all be machine washed. Um, generally, I tell people don't put them in the dryer because it's it softens the fabric over time a bit too much perhaps. Um, so for a uh, for our casual kilt or semi-traditional, you could put it in the washer. Do not use wool light, do not use uh, fabric softener, nothing like that, just regular stuff. I'd say attach the Velcro to itself, throw it in the washer with whatever else and then you know lay it flat across the couch to dry. Yeah, and that's yeah. If, especially if he's looking for something that's machine washable, that's the best way to go. Anything, anything along those lines. Yep. All right, Mr. Mac, what do we got next? All right. <clears throat> we have uh, Randy asking, would you wear your kilt to a sporting event like homecoming? And he's he is a Hawkeye out at uh, the University of Iowa. Would I wear my kilt to a homecoming? Mm -hmm. um, if I were to attend such things, <laughs> sure. Um, there's, I will start with this. The, does your kilt match your college colors? Um, some colleges have tartans, some don't. I'd say the majority don't, but some do. And even the ones that do, most of them don't actually make uh, like kilt cloth out of it. There are very, very, very few and far between. If you don't mind not matching the college colors, sure, have at it. If it does match the college colors, great. Um, you're you're gonna stand out a little bit. If it does match the college colors, that's it's you're in the spirit more. So I'd say in that instance, wonderful, have at it. Um, it is a way for you to celebrate something um, that in a in a different way than most people celebrate it. It's you're just showing school pride, enthusiasm, that kind of thing. So yeah, I have no problem with it. I mean, especially for uh, University of Iowa, Loud McLeod would be a perfect choice for that. Yep, the, red, um, the yellow and the black. Yep. Yeah, there's no. And unfortunately, I, don't, I did some looking this morning, and I didn't really come across 
anything that was just yellow and black. Um, Barclay. It's that, as a white stripe. Yeah, I was just strictly looking at yellow and black. Right, right. I mean, if he was like <clears throat> at a better school like Penn State, maybe fair blue fair and white point. is is easy to find there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like Rocky said, the, there's uh, there is there finding something that's close to your school colors, especially if you're going to go that route, is, is key. And we just did um, a Michigan State one recently. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I've done a Virginia Tech one as well. Um, so it's done and done pretty well. Yeah. The, the problem with um, school tartans, and I'll, I'll even go a little bit further out and say like corporate tartans, is a lot of the times corporations or schools have two colors that are the main colors for the organization. Tartans don't usually have two colors. Two color tartans tend to be very boring. Um, you know, sorry, Menzies. Um, the, uh, uh, or, you know, Rob Roy McGregor, things mm -hmm. like that, or Shepard Chuck, um, there's not a lot going on. Um, so tartans tend to have four to six colors that kind of range. So if you're trying to match school colors with an existing universal kind of tartan, um, it can be a bit of a challenge if you just want the two colors of your school. Now, I know you have like the Penn State tartan, mm -hmm. and Mac wears the uh, St. Andrews tartan with it, which has navy, it has a, a, a medium kind of blue and white. So it blends with the navy and white of the Penn State, but it still has another shade of blue. So it's a reasonable match, but it's not a dead on match because, again, it's more than two colors. Mm -hmm. So, yep. Indeed. I'll, I'll jump in on that. When I got. My second semi-trad, it was Ramsey Blue, because my school colors for my high school were blue and white. So I was playing for a basketball tournament. I was like, I really got to have something that, that looks, looks I think good. This is a, this is a and false story. And by playing for a basketball <laughs> tournament, I mean playing the bagpipes. Oh, okay. And not at 5-2 at the time, all, all, making all. jump shots and whatnot. You were all-time center? Field goals and all those things. So... Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's you've got Penn State, which is blue and white, right? Mm -hmm. And Villanova, which is right down the road, too, which mm -hmm. is also blue mm -hmm. and white. Yep. So. He was actually the mascot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do we got next? Uh, Mac, it's your turn. Is it no. your turn? That's Lucas' turn. Lucas. All right. I've got one for you. Um, Tony Duffy is saying, my local Highland Games, Pleasanton, California, will be all outdoors this year. It is going to be immensely hot that weekend. No AC. How do we dress? For hot weather. Sexy. <laughs> Extra paper towels. Um, now, um, for for hot weather stuff, it all it really boils down to your core and your head more than anything else. So I would wear a you know a, a performance you know kind of material polo shirt or you know performance like a Under Armour style shirt or something like that. Um, and for your hat, uh, I would wear something either linen or, you know, a lighter color linen or, a, you know, a linen hat, a cotton hat, something that's breathable. That's not going to, you know, trap too, too much heat on your head. Um, if you're bald, you, you, know, you kind of have to wear a hat so you don't have, you know, sunburn on your head. You have that happen once in your life and you will never try it again. Um, the, the, uh, you know, for, for footwear, just comfortable footwear. You know, cotton crew socks kind of thing. And then the kilt, whether it's wool or PV, 
to me, matters a little bit less because you have obviously air conditioning underneath the kilt. Um, and it really matters more your core and your head, what you're wearing. Yeah, and I noticed, especially working uh, outside in the last few days when it's been been quite warm, um, I've been building a chicken coop. But the the shirts that I've been wearing are, um, I think I think I got it from like Shady Rays, which is a sunglass company. But they they have the shirt that's like a UV type shirt, UV filter shirt, and that I I felt was more was better wearing than like a performance shirt. It seemed to breathe a little bit better. So to me, it was more focusing on the shirt and then the shoes um, of late, I've been wearing a little bit like more of like a running shoe. It's a little bit lighter, lighter weight shoe breathes a lot better. So it's, I agree. I think you're, you're, you're whatever you're covering your, your torso and your footwear, especially going to be a lot of walking at a festival. You're walking. So, yep, yep, yep. I agree. Hope that helps. Mm-hmm. All right, Mr. Mack. All right. We have Ed asking, I've seen Rocky several times mention that weavers have a little leeway in thread count. What does this do when there's a tartan-like firefighter memorial where thread count is specifically representing something? Yep. Um, <clears throat> what he's referring to is when you give a mill a thread count and you say, um, hey, I want this, you know, here's the thread count and you give them and they kind of, they put it into their CAD design to get ready for, uh, for weaving. Um, if the, 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 let's say the selvage edge ends on a stripe and they don't want it to, they'll kind of adjust the thread count a little bit proportionately one way or the other to make it kind of end where they want it to end, center on the line they want it to center on. They'll adjust it for the set size to be, you know, 6.8, not 6.5, depending on what the customer wants. Um, some tartans have meaning in the thread count. So for instance, our firefighter memorial, which he alluded to, has as one of the pivots, three, four, three red lines in one of the pivots in the tartan. And what we do is we tell the mill, okay, hey, we're gonna weed the firefighter memorial, please adjust the thread count so that the set size is eight inches or 7.5 inches or whatever. But in doing that, don't touch these three numbers. Leave the 343 exactly as it is because that has significance. And it's not so uh, so big of a section that it's going to really affect um, the overall look of the design and things like that. Um, a, a tartan really is a, does it look like the tartan from 10 feet? kind of mindset when the mill is weaving. You know, Royal Stewart from one mill is gonna look, you know, they may have a slightly wider red section or a slightly narrower red section from another mill, just based on the mill's particular preference or the weaver's preference and that kind of thing. It's, does it look like it? Do you recognize it as the design or is it so far off that it's something different? It's, you know, it's akin to copyright kind of thing. Does it look 10% different or is it close enough? Like, how does it look? So that's how we would do it with a thread count for a tartan that has a specific design or our, our law enforcement has 72 red or 72 black threads for the 72 law enforcement officers that died on 9-11 as well. And the black, those are in the black bands, the two black you know bars, and those will stay the same. The field of blue might get, you know, a quarter inch bigger or a quarter inch smaller. That is of little consequence as long as it stays blue but the thread count of the black section is what matters. So it's really just a, 
a close enough from one mil to the next kind of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and is is the weight of the material, is that going to factor into that too or no? Or is that just... <clears throat> yes and no. It's good point. The, the weight of the material, it, if it's... The thread count is the exact same. So there's you know, across the entire thread, let's or the, the entire design, let's say there's uh, 268 threads. It's coming up with a number. Um, 268 threads of 16 ounce yarn versus 268 threads of 13 ounce yarn is going to be a little bit narrow or a little bit smaller in the 13 ounce, a little bit bigger in the 16 ounce. So if you want the set size to remain the same, using again Firefighter Memorial for the example, um, I would probably shrink the red section a little bit and leave the 343 just as it is or shrink everything proportionately by 5%, 10%, whatever, but leave the 343. Yep, mm -hmm. pretty easy one. All right, Mr. Lucas. Okay, we have business to take care of first. Mike Ramsey says, don't be hating simple tartans. <laughs> Don't hate the play, I hate the game. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, on to Russell Massingale. How long does it take one of your kilt makers to complete a kilt? Time from cutting the cloth to handing it to QC, QC for quality check. control. Yep. Yeah. It depends on what style we're, we're doing. Um, like a uh, premiere... Um, could take uh, a full day, a full day plus. Uh, it just depends on on depends on a few things. Depends on the uh, the tartan itself. Depends on uh, how potentially how confusing or how easy the the, the pattern is on it. Um, how much? If it's like Rob Roy McGregor or Menzies, you know, simple ones. Bam. <laughs> <laughs> the um... like, or it was like Ovi when you have. A, yeah, uh, a thousand lines in that. That's gonna take a little bit more marking out, a little bit more time to to think about how it's all gonna go together. Or Aberdeen, something that's a oh. huge fourteen inch set where you have to kind of make up your own pattern within it because you can't do a fourteen inch set to the true set. No, your pleats will be you know two inches wide each. And there's one where you mentioned uh, where because of the size, of it, it doesn't fully repeat across the bolt. They have to, they definitely have to do some adjusting for the weaving of that to make that work across the, across the bolt. It, it will. It's you, they would just they would figure that the center line and they work both and you know down you know from the center like if it's a 60 inch bolt they would go at the 30 inch mark is this pivot and then just go down from there. Eh, we'll say that's what they did in the last one. Fair. <laughs> I, not casting stones. No. No, they never change anything. No, no. The mills are always exactly consistent. Exactly the same. Always perfect, right on, dead on. <laughs> never any flaws to have to work around. Nah. Um, but yeah, going back to the question, <laughs> the uh, like our casuals, we can get several of those done. Usually we do several of those done in a day. Um, it, yeah, it just depends on the style and what we have to work with. Yeah. And if you're doing five of the same one or if you're doing like the same mm -hmm. size, the same it's Yeah, there's a lot of different variables but anywhere from so here's the easy answer anywhere from a couple hours to a couple days mm -hmm. it depends on the style of kilt we're doing and the complexity of of the thing that we're doing with it mm -hmm. indeed all right mr mac all right so we have leo asking 
I have a dark green Prince Charlie I wear to with my Burns Modern Tartan. I purchased it, a, I purchased it to be a little different, is, but is it perhaps inappropriately different? I have yet to see one displayed slash discussed. Any uh, concerns on acceptance? Um, so, a Burns Modern. Burns Modern, yep. It's going to be uh, red and green. Um, with some stripes in it. It's mm -hmm. not the Burns check. It's the Burns red Burns modern. modern yep. Yeah. Um, so if it's Burns modern, it's gonna have bottle green in it. Yep. Um, it's it's one of those where it's. I I would say this: if you are wearing it as a, uh, if you're wearing it to an event where there's a lot of other kilt makers and you want to stand kilt wearers, excuse me, not kilt makers. Um, if you're wearing it where there's a lot of other kilt wearers and you want to stand out, you want to be the peacock among the peacock, you know, the main peacock or the head peacock in the room of peacocks, then sure, bottle green will be different. It will stand out. Um, if it's just, you know, you're doing a wedding and you're going to be the only kilt wearer there or it's a black tie event and you want to wear your kilt and everyone else is going to be in tuxedos, but you're going to be in a kilt, then I would say, at that point, I'd really rather see black because you're, you're blending in more with the tuxedos, it's a black tie kind of event, versus something that is green and stand out and bold, which I get when you're wearing it with, you know, with around other people wearing kilts, but not so much when you're wearing it around tuxedo-clad folk. Yeah, I think as long as the outfit looks smart in the end, it's not wearing like a red Prince Charlie with that, where it's... It would be a, a really bold choice. I it mean, is. We have done red. We've done we've done navy as well, haven't we? Yep. Red, navy, and bottle green are the three colors outside of black. They're probably the most common. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it all depends on the rest of your outfit. If, if, you, if the whole outfit is a very smart-looking outfit, then it all ties together well. It just It's not going to the extreme. So. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Done. All right, Mr. Lucas. All right. Mm -hmm. uh, just for fun, we've had two folks mention that they're from Sweden and they're wishing us a happy Independence Day here Very in the nice. US. Very cool. Thank you. Uh, quick question Sweden. from mm -hmm. Sweden. Yes. Uh, quick question from Tate Bartlett, who's asking Do you all wear kilt hose all the time or just occasionally? Yeah, I'm. I'm not going to bring my leg up and, you know, flash the camera. <laughs> Darn. Um, but, no, we don't wear kilt-hose all the time. The it, It's it's different horses for different courses. So it's it's warm today. I mean, it's, you know, upper 80s, lower 90s, I think, outside. Um, so today, no, I have on a pair of uh, cotton crew socks and a pair of sneakers, um, polo shirt, and eight-yard wool kilt. Um, it's form follows function. We want to be comfortable this is not to us it is heritage but it it is not relegated to being a costume that strict rules must be adhered to it is a living breathing thing to some degree there are you know conventions there are traditions but there are no firm rules that you must wear hose for it to be a kilt or for it to honor tradition or whatever as long as you're wearing it appropriately for the context, for the you know, for the weather, for everything like that. Um, so no, I don't wear kilt hose. I would say 
realistically, I'd say I probably wear uh, cotton crew socks more than I wear kildos because I dress more like this than I do dress up. Um, if I'm wearing a tweed jacket and or just a tweed vest, even if you don't really leave the jacket off, then I would wear a kilt hose. If I'm wearing a dress shirt or something a little bit dressier, or if I wanted to dress up how I am dressing now, or if it's winter and it's cool out and I want to have a little bit more coverage on my legs, then yes, I will wear a kilt hose. But if it's summer and I'm not getting dressed up, I'm not going out, you know, on a date with the wife or anything like that, then no, I'm just going to, you know, dress like this. Yeah, I think if most times I'm wearing it casually, so it's it's more of the, the casual thing I'm wearing, just regular socks uh, with it, or even, what was the what was the new thing that we learned, the but smart casual, or what was that? Yeah, smart casual, I think was yeah, the Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Or, like business casual, like I still would wear regular crew socks with it before I wear, wear the kilt hose. So. No, smart casual is like no socks in the Oh, that's true. That's right. I forgot. It was... We looked up images of like <laughs> business casual, smart casual, like all these different levels of dress. And, and it was it like a got... fine line. Yeah. it's it, There's there's some overlap, but it's, yeah. But a lot of the models had no socks on for some reason. Mm -hmm. Very, very, very metro. Um, yes. But yeah. No, it's, it's it, again, wearing a kilt doesn't have to be stuffy. It doesn't have to be seeped in tradition every single time you wear it. You can incorporate it into your, the way that you wear your normal clothes. Figure, you know, what would you wear, you know, in place of shorts, you know, dress it that way. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, how, if you're going to wear a casual, you can do it like that. If you want to get dressed up, there are, you know, conventions for that kind of thing, but you don't have to do that. If you, and ultimately I started out with this. If you spend that much money and that much can be a hundred bucks or it could be five, 600 bucks on a single piece of clothing, I'll be damned if I'm going to let that thing sit in my closet. Mm -hmm. I'm going to wear it. I want to, I want to have it out there for more than just the odd, you know, special occasion once a year, once every other year kind of thing. I'm going to get my freaking money's worth out of it. So yeah, I'm going to incorporate it into my daily wardrobe. I'm going to wear it with casual stuff. I'm going to still be able to dress it up. And that's the beauty of kilts is you can, it's, it's this versatile garment. You can dress it way up to the most formal. I could wear this eight yard kilt with a Prince Charlie, a dress boring, kilt hose, and, and go to a black tie affair. Or I can wear it with a t-shirt and a pair of sandals and walk on the beach. No, I don't wear sandals with my kilts, but only on the beach would it ever be acceptable. I hate sandals. Tom, I can feel your eyes burning a hole in the side of my head right now. I don't care. I hate sandals. Um, but it's the point is you can take the same article of clothing and dress it way down or way up. And there's nothing else I can that even comes close to having that level of versatility. Yeah, it's the only the only piece of clothing that can be a pair of jeans and part of a, a, a black tie suit at the same time yep agreed to jump in right there we just had a comment asking about your opinions on flip-flops <laughs> when my wife buys another pair i get another hat <laughs> i if there is one thing that i am i am against it's flip-flops i no thank you not not in that camp no. Sorry to say. 
Nor am I. I, no. No, open toed shoes, never. Nope. <laughs> maybe, maybe the, uh, the, the tread sticker thing <laughs> that goes on the bottom of your foot so you can walk around barefoot with just like, you know, rubber tread mm. on the bottom. Maybe, maybe I'd explore that one time. I've, I've just caused Tom to <laughs> cough up his, his gummy snacks over there. So but, couldn't you just spray flex seal on the bottom of your feet at that point? Interesting. Oh, our, our robe was just oiled and chipped. <laughs> I could just walk out and get the tar on the bottom of the feet. Kelly would love footprints around the house. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. No, that's that's a, that's a hard pass on flip flops. <laughs> Period. End of story. So saith Rocky. So saith the Lord. So... <laughs> All right. Um, question. Okay. Um, bit of a comment question going on here. So this is this is my friend Rod Nevin, and he says, uh, speaking of watering, talking about watering the whiskey. <laughs> I have not a question, but a kilt cleaning tip. Recently, I inadvertently dripped some barbecue sauce onto my kilt from some adventurous chicken nugget eating. When I noticed it, the sauce is still wet, so I poured some water onto it from my water bottle after removing the kilt. And after dabbing it dry and letting it hang dry, it was clean as new. I've definitely spot cleaned a kilt the same way. Any other tips, thoughts on spot cleaning your kilt? I'm stuck on adventurous <laughs> chicken nugget eating. Like... Was there a competition? What's, I don't know. See, I'm, I'm picturing this as him 10 feet away from the other competitor, and they have to have their mouth open. They're flinging. And you just wing it like you're <laughs> skipping a stone with you know, the barbecue sauce, trying mm -hmm. to hit them in the face, right in the gob, with with chicken nuggets. Mm -hmm. that, that, would be, that would be fun. Indeed. Now I really want chicken nuggets. USA Kilt Olympics. Thanks, Rod. Chicken nugget <laughs> adventures. Okay, Mr. Mac. Next question. Well, just to, to go back to that. Oh. Uh, one thing that I know we've done, um, especially if we get a we had a piece of cloth that had, so every now and then when the mill sends us cloth, it might have like a little stain of oil on it. Yep, yep. We've used dish soap, a little bit of dish soap and water. Kind of scrubbed that area and then got some more water and, and cleaned it off that way. And that's a, another way to not damage anything. Um, and there's and that's kind of a spot check there. Yeah, and the oil that they use for machines, for the most part, is water soluble because they know this is going to happen, mm. or it's 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 not going to stain the thing. So that's why this soap is great at taking it out. What's the spray thing we use? Oh, it just turns it white and like kicks it up and pulls it out of the fibers. It it I don't remember what the the actual term is, but yeah, it, it it sprays on and then it becomes a powder and it just kind of brushes off. Yeah, it's something that like I think we get it from like a dry cleaner supply yeah. company or something. Yeah. So that there's there's that, stuff out there that worked really well. I had there I had something going on and Mac. It was like, what's going on with your kill? I'm like, oh, stand order. And he came out of his office like a wizard with this spray can, and boom, and it was gone. It was perfect. It was amazing. All right, Mr. Mac. Alrighty, so we have um, uh, Lewis asking. I have seen kilts that say they're hand hand woven wool. They seem cheaper in price. So would hand-woven wool have lesser quality than machine-woven? No. I will <clears throat> I will say this not knowing the company 
that you're that that use that description. Um, but no, if it's if it is cheaper than traditional, you know, Scottish wool, they are probably lying to you. It's not hand woven. That's it's it's if I had to guess, it is their it is most likely their marketing effort to cover up the fact that it is cheaper fabric or that it's acrylic fabric or it's an acrylic wool blend kind of thing. Um, hand, there are, you know, hand weavers out there weaving real wool into, you know, kilt suitable cloth. And there's, they're gonna generally be a lot more expensive. It's a manual process where they're actually sitting there at the treadle or, you know, or shuttling the loom themselves back and forth. Um, so it's not, something that's cheaper it takes longer longer equals more money so if somebody is weaving something or has something that they are calling hand woven but it is cheaper than regular wool or a regular pv or whatever um then it's just because the labor or the or the materials that go into it or both are cheaper cheaper either you know either it's woven somewhere where there's a lower cost of living or a lower salary and lower wage kind of thing or cheaper as in it's just crap um yeah when i think of hand woven i think of like harris tweed like i think of kind of like along those routes where that's that material is yep. not cheap it's it's the like i went back and reread the question myself because i thought he meant at first was the look because sometimes hand woven stuff can have that look where maybe it it's They're, a little bit looser, or there's some imperfections, yeah. and that's the beauty. Yeah, yeah. So I was kind of going that way, but no, he, he does say in price. So, yeah, I, I, I think, I, like I said, I go back to the Harris Tweed, and that's a lot more expensive material, and the look of it is, is definitely different than what I'm thinking that he's seeing. Yeah. Now the uh, Harris Tweed, they, you know, in order for it to be Harris Tweed, it has to be woven on the Isle of Harris or the Isle of Lewis in Scotland that they get the little orb um, as their maker's mark. Now those, it has to be uh, um, like old timey looms. So for those, a lot of them have been, they cannot be mechanical or like, you know, machine run. They have to be hand or human powered. So a lot of them, they've adapted to either a bike so they can sit there and pedal with the bike to actually, you know, make the shuttle fly back and forth um, or, you know, treadles where they actually just pump their feet kind of thing. So then they can still call it Harris Tweed. But that's Harris Tweed specifically, which is a beautiful cloth, by the way, is more expensive than mm -hmm. regular kilt wool and that kind of thing. So if it is cheaper, I, dollars to donuts, 99% positive. It means it's just their marketing term for this doesn't look as good. There's imperfections. Therefore, we're going to say, Handwoven, <laughs> kind of, sort of, not really. I put the thread in the looms. Does that mean it's hand? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It means it's cheap. And if, it's, if it's cheap and the price is cheap, if it's too good to be true, it probably is, mm -hmm. period. The old adage holds true for Highland wear as much as it does for everything else in life. All right. Was that you? That was me. Mr. Lucas. All right. We have a construction question from Eric Thwaites who's saying, I noticed there's an extra flap of fabric on the inner side of the fringe end of the kilt. Is this to allow for expanding the kilt if it needs to be made larger, 
or just part of the kilt making process? Yes. <laughs> the, uh, uh, traditionally speaking, uh, kilts were back when clothes were adjusted more often. I'll start there. Um, they would add in extra material on this side, that side, and um, uh, allow for the adjustment of the kilt later on, whether that's in the way that they attach the fringe, whether it's the deep pleat on the first or on the front apron, whether it's the under apron, having a little bit of extra cloth underneath there. Uh, there is different ways to add a little bit more material into the kilt to be able to adjust it later on, should it need to be let out and made bigger, or you can take it in and make it smaller. That Well, you don't need extra fabric to make it smaller, no. but you know what I mean. Um, some kilt makers do that, some don't. It just depends on who is making your kilt and how they construct it. It's one of those things where there's a hundred different ways to skin a cat, um, and the vast majority of people don't have major kilt alterations anymore. It's, you know, buckle moves and that kind of things we get on occasion, um, or replace the straps or make this, you know, move this strap on the under apron kind of thing. Yeah, very rarely are we moving anything more than two to three inches on average. That's kind of the, yeah. seems to be the, the most we move anything. On a rare occasion where someone's <laughs> lost weight and I found it, like that's, we've, you know, that's the, the big moves there. But for the for the most part, we're only moving up and down maybe two to yeah. three inches. And and part of the reason why as well, um, it's not that you can't adjust the kilt. It, it comes down to cost. Um, if if it is a major reconstruction of the garment, a lot of times it's going to cost a good chunk of change. I mean, it's going to be a couple hundred dollars minimum um, to you know completely redo parts of the kilt and a lot of people would just say I would just rather take that money and put it towards a new kilt and or sell this one and then therefore I get a brand new kilt made specifically to my measurements on purpose right out of the gates and use that money that they used to sell in selling their old kilt to put towards the new kilt as well and you end up with about the same thing a new person gets a new kilt and at a, at a discounted price and you get a brand new kilt made to your measurements. So it's kind of a win-win versus a major overhaul reconstruction. The only time I would say that we've had people specifically say, no, I want to have it completely ripped apart and redone is when it's a family heirloom kilt or this was my dad's and now I wanted to give it to my son or something like that. Yeah, because then you get into the aspect of the front apron, if we're going smaller, the front apron starts wrapping around the backside of the kilt and now your pleats your pleated area is, is so much smaller, and then your pleats then start interacting with your aprons and get tangled up. And or you go the other way where you got to make it bigger, and now the under apron showing. So, and for for me, I'd rather have something that's fixed and fixed right, and that's that's either it's potentially getting a new kilt uh, versus something that's hacked and close it enough. It works yeah. ish. Yeah. Agreed. All right, Mr. Mac. All right, so we have Nathan asking, putting together a World War II Highland uniform. We'll love to get some advice on that. And we have Will 
uh, asking, I would like to hear Mac talk about his War One kit and where he suggests getting the right repros for a walking out War One uniform. For those that don't know, Mac does reenacting. Mm-hmm. Um, you do. Uh, what do you do for reenacting? Kilt related stuff. Kilt related, just War One. War One. Yep. Which regiment do you? Re- we do the Forty Second Royal Highland uh, of Canada. So Canada Day was, you know. Cheers to Canadian mm-hmm. land. Yeah, we're uh, day two of the psalm right now. There you go. So that didn't go over so well the first day. But uh, so, what advice would you have for the young lad? So, it's like anything. Um, depending on how much you want to spend, is really there's different levels. There's, I would say, your entry level stuff would be like from what price? Glory, Soldier of Fortune, which is over in the UK. Their all their stuff is going to be um, is going to be made somewhere in the Middle East um, area. Um, their specs have gotten better uh, as far as their cuts and the material that they're using. Um, but the the guy to go to is uh, Dicky Knight on Khaki on Campaign. The last I knew, he had a six to eight month turnaround on uniforms. So everyone's oh. going to him a lot. Yeah, so, um, but again, he's also, he's a UK dealer. So you got to deal with uh, getting stuff over. But uh, as far as in the US side, um, Carter Jasper, they're a mainly a uh, Civil War vendor. But there's a gentleman there that runs that. His name is Joe Blunt. He has been making uh, uniforms for a little while now, and, and they've been they've been really well uh, made for equipment for all your gear. Uh, no one is better than Lawrence Ordnance, but they're in Australia, so you're going to be spending a little bit more on shipping. Yeah, coming from Australia, um, and not bit. not Austria, Australia. <laughs> Make sure we get that right. We had a big kilt band <laughs> order go to Australia once that was supposed to go to Austria. So. Yes. So kangaroos, not mountains. Indeed. Um, boots. Lennon, William uh, Lennon Boot Company in uh, the UK is the best boots out there. Uh, their B5s are are amazing. Um, I want a pair one day. I don't have a pair. Um, so I'm taking it that they're a bit a bit pricey. They're not they're not too bad. They're I think two eighty five was the last. Uh, the that's, last that's pricey for me. Um, yeah, for something that you're gonna wear and get beat up and yep. and not mess around uh, mess mess up pretty much. But yeah, that's. But they are made specs are spot on. They're they got original shoes. They based everything off of. Um, and then there's also this little this little guy. In uh, in Boyertown, Pennsylvania, huh? Huh? We might know him. Indeed. That uh, is on Facebook under Blighty Corner. That uh, does make some stuff. So I've heard horrible things about his customer service, though. I know he's a complete jerk. Now, um, Mac actually has his own uh, reproduction stuff. He makes um, some military reproduction things. Mm-hmm. What's the spell it? Blighty Corner. Blighty Corner, like blighty as a wound. It's a B-L-I-G-H-T-Y corner. Um, and I'm on the Facebooks. And of course, if you're looking for a kilt, we know a place that, that does that. Um, I've heard of one. Mm-hmm. It's somewhere around here somewhere. But it's... 
I mean, the other options for that is eBay, an ex-military from the 50s, and they're... Mm, yeah, okay. they're miss. Yeah. So that's kind of a quick rundown, but it, it's, it's again, it's a matter of how much you want to spend. You can spend a lot, you spend a little. Yep. It just depends on what the unit that you're trying to join, what their, uh, what their requirements are, and I would check with them first. Indeed. Now, boys and girls, before we get to the next question... <clears throat> You know, or if you don't know, I'm telling you. Um, my employees love to torture me. Um, we do? In, it, once in a while. Okay. They love to needle me, to poke, to prod, just to get under my skin, just to get a reaction out of me. So, I want to do something different. Um, we have a show that we're a, a single thing for right now. It's just one right now, maybe more. Um, called Rocky Reacts. We're putting it out, or we're going to premiere the video July 23rd. So we're going to have a thing on Facebook at some point and, and YouTube. We're going to send out an email about it. Um, have a watch party when we premiere that. And we've cut some segments of it down into a wee snippet for you guys as a sneak preview today. So without further ado, for about three minutes, it's not that long of a segment, don't worry. We'll be back. Um... We're going to show you what's going on with the Rocky React segment. Hey guys, welcome. We are trying something new. This is Rocky Reacts, and we are going to basically torture your friend and mine, Rocky Rager, uh, with a few uh, cringeworthy items that we've run across in our travels on the interwebs. Oh, oh, poop my mouth a little bit right there. <laughs> I want to see the animal that that thing came off of. Uh, One of my personal favorites. Yes. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to be on the team. I think I would. I, I would. I would debate quitting. I want. Yeah. Do it for your country. I don't love the country that much. It's. <laughs> it looks like a dentist waiting room couch. <laughs> it's. It's. That's about the end of it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Nah. All right. Let's do the next one. All right. Ready? Yep. Oh, uh, uh, he should be drug out in the street and shot. Oh, he's got a face for punching. It's. <laughs> I swear he looks like Jim Carrey to me. He's like, cable guy. Yeah. I need a costume quick. It's like if Borat tried to be Scottish for Halloween. I don't Borat know. would do better than than this. Fair point. Oh, they found my college photo. No. <laughs> You've looked into the abyss, Rocky. Oh, I've stared into the abyss and it has crushed my soul. <laughs> High fashion, low bar. That's, oh, <laughs> that's something. I don't, this is just. Oh, that is his hair. You know, all this time I thought that was like a hood. No. I thought that was no. a hood. I thought no. he was wearing like a hood. That's what I'm saying, like a pale Ooh. Harry Potter villain with a mohair wrap. Oh. Oh. My my enemy, my sworn enemy, as if Buckle Brogues weren't bad enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You found one in tan. It's a double buckle. It's a double buckle brogue. <sighs> oh, oh, oh. Give him a top hat, center stage, five ring circus or three ring, whatever the circus mm -hmm. thing is, mm -hmm. like circus conductor guy. Right, right, right. Yes. Uh, I hope he gets mauled by a tiger. Yeah. yeah, needs to get mauled by a tiger. Ah. Uh, uh, 
I give her a bit of a pass because she's looking at me kind of sexy. But oh, outside man. of that, <laughs> I'd be sad too if I had to dress up in a haggis costume and walk around a grocery store while shopping. <laughs> no, three seconds after this photo was taken, they scare the absolute <laughs> out of the lady with the cart. Can you imagine just like creeping up behind right. her like, Hey lady, buy some mixed haggis! Yeah. Uh, this that, is all the rage. It's He's got a face to constipation there. It's, uh, <laughs> I, somebody made me do this with my sparring. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Kill it with fire. <laughs> that, that, that was amusing and painful to, uh, to partake in. We, we actually recorded for uh, about an hour and a half of uh of horrible photos that i had to delve into so it was it was torturous and spectacular simultaneously um tom how long is the final video gonna be like 15 16 minutes yeah so it's something fun um so hope you guys enjoy that i enjoyed doing it um and as always eric enjoys torturing me <laughs> so mr lucas um what do we got going on okay we have a formality question here okay from d fours i'm getting married this summer congratulations and it's a pretty casual wedding on a local beach i plan to wear my kilt with just a white dress shirt would you go necktie or bow tie tartan or not casual wedding on a beach If it's beach, you can you can go as as much as you want. I mean, it's it's my opinion matters less than your future brides. Um, the if I was on a beach, I would probably wear. Well, I don't know. It, it depends on what what flavor you want for the wedding. I mean, like Chris Corbin, one of our uh, customers, got married on the beach, you know, a long time ago, a friend of ours, and he wore a full Prince Charlie. All the groomsmen were in full suits. You know, wife looked beautiful. Like it was a full gown, everything like that. Um, but it just happened to be on a beach. Now we've had other customers who have worn flip flops for some reason, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, a casual kilt or a kilt, like linen, you know, like you know, loose kind of fitting shirt on the beach. A much, much, much more casual look to it. So it really depends, or even barefoot. Um, it really depends on what you want the wedding to look like um and i would i would say this if you are the the type of person that's gonna have you know invest a good amount of money in a photographer have you know hundreds of photos and all that kind of stuff and blow one of them up put it over the mantle over the fireplace or on the wall whatever um and that's going to be a piece of art that you look at every day for the rest of your life think about that almost as much as just the day itself or what do i want it to look like what am i going to want to see hanging in my home forever um this is memorial forever um mac what are your thoughts on that uh, i'm kind of going two different ways i'm kind of getting what you're saying there and especially at the end um almost kind of taking the full outfit along because you can always get pictures with the full outfit and then do some pictures more, a little bit more casual. Like when I think of beach wedding, I think of I don't even think of ties. I don't think of anybody really wearing bow ties or yeah. or, or even neckties. It's just kind of a 
linen shirt that's maybe opened a little bit at the top um, with the little the little flower thingy. But corsage. That's on the wrist, isn't it? That's on the corsage. That's a wrist corsage. What's up? Boutonniere. Boutonniere. There we go. We're so fancy. <laughs> um, well, um, I'd, I'd say it also it depends on the schedule that you're on with the wedding. That's true. Yeah, we're we're in a room full of photographers, including yourself. Yeah. You, know, I'm sure you would love for the bridal party to have costume changes. If I knew it going into it, then I'd be fine with you would, it. You would price it appropriately. <laughs> um, but the uh, yeah, it's one of those things where it's. If it's if they're on a strict schedule and they're trying to get from point A to point B and there's not a lot of time, then I'd say no, just pick one and do it, you know go with it. If there's four hours between the ceremony and the reception, then maybe you do two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> bride stripping down on the beach to put on a new. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I. Yeah. The end result of like what do you, what do you? I think the what you said with that picture hanging over the mantle like what do you want that to look like i think that's the key in the in the end of this yep it's always always forward thinking that's one thing that we try to do here and this is a mini sales pitch but not really um our job is to think ahead for you is to think how it's going to look and kind of point out the potholes in the road that you might hit or whatever um and try to you know go through the process with you mentally to make sure you're going to be happy with the end result um and then that's kind of where i'm you know saying to you is start with the end result start with what you want it to eventually look like you know years from now what will you have been proud or embarrassed to have the photos look like and then work backwards yeah so hope that helps mr mac what do we got next Alrighty, so we have Keegan <clears throat> asking, "What about suspenders or braces for helping holding holding up a kilt uh, if you can't wear a belt?" Okay. Have you ever worn suspenders or braces with a kilt? I don't think so. Um, I used to wear like you know, uh, braces is effectively the the fancy British word for suspenders. Um, there are some differences. One of clips, one of buttons, or whatever. But it's yeah. close Same enough. Thing. It's the things that go over your shoulders and they adjust. You know, rerun with the rainbow ones in the seventies. Um, shout out to what's happening now <laughs> and what's happening. Raj, hey, 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 Dwayne, Wayne, you know, all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> anyway, now I want a red tam. <laughs> but another Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> Me doing the, the rerun dance. <laughs> You can dance. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, complete tangent. Now, um, suspenders with a kilt. I knew, I knew we were going somewhere with this. <laughs> the uh, have I done it? No. The can it be done? Yes. Um, I don't like the look of them with a kilt, so I'd say if you can hide them. If you're wearing a vest or, or sweater or something over it, then yes, I'm a little bit more comfortable with it. Um, the generally bigger guys I could see needing it is if you have you know the uh, the round belly in the front and what we affectionately call the Noestal disease um, where you're just straight down in the back or you actually kind of are egg-shaped where you kind of come in and you want to wear the kilt around the widest part of you if it's still you know drooping down or falling down and you find yourself constantly kind of hiking it up throughout the evening then yes a pair of suspenders can help that yeah, I've worn 
braces with my uh, War One kilt. Um, it's you got to first you're gonna have to sew buttons on, on the inside, especially if you're using you're using uh, suspenders that have the buttons on. But it also becomes an interesting way to put on a kilt too, because you have the the suspenders usually, which makes it easier, is have them buttoned already. So you gotta put kind of half put the the suspenders on. It's like putting a barrel it's on. It's calling into a cage. Yeah, so cage. you gotta put that on and then kind of wrap everything around because your your suspender buttons are gonna be on your on your under apron. Because that's going to help hold up that kilt, and then you're going to bring the front apron over top of it. So it's it can be an interesting experience finagle to get in. <laughs> We've had customers. Uh, I think uh, Marty. I think was the one customer we had come in. He had an operation there. He he couldn't have any pressure across his waist, so he was kind of forced into wearing suspenders. So it's. It, I think in that situation, your kind, your cards are kind of dealt with, you know, against you there. But as you said before, we have this new adventure called a belt that works just as well. Yeah. If you need the suspenders because you can't wear a belt, like Morty, you know, with the, the pressure on the abdomen kind of thing, then fine, do it. Uh, pull over or, you know, or, or a vest or something like that over top and you can just hide them really yeah. real easy. But... Outside of that, I'm I'm more in the much much more in the belt camp. Just you know, wear make sure you're wearing the kilt above the widest part yes. of you. Again, if you're egg shaped, above the widest part of the egg, and then you know cinch it down. Some some big guys are like you know firm and you know, like you can you know bounce quarters off their belly kind of thing. Other guys are just like big marshmallows where they're kind of fluffy. Um, so if you're fluffy, you may have to kind of cinch it in a little bit. Yeah. It's it's a little bit more difficult mm -hmm. if you're fluffy versus if you're you know hard. Uh, Stay puff marshmallow man. Exactly in a kilt. Mm -hmm. There's another one for him. <laughs> Cowering behind us, <laughs> walking through the screen. Anything else we want to like make them do? I don't know. We're um, coming up with a with a good list here. We need Ghostbuster costumes. Well, no. especially with the Stay Puff. Yes, deep fake, mm. deep fake the scene from the movie. Us as Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. And then we are fighting in kilts. Yes. Fighting Stay Puff. There we go. Gauntlet thrown down. <laughs> Have at it, Tom or Joel. What he is. <laughs> you, you guys can't see their faces. Just, oh, damn it. Yes. So, indeed. All right, Mr. Lucas. Next question, please. All right. Um, something on the floor over here. It's a gauntlet. You guys might have to pick <laughs> yeah, it up. It's Tom's jaw. <laughs> um, we have a question about outfits, and it's very open-ended, so brace yourselves. Lou Oldag is asking, what outfit is best for celebrating things? Your birthday suit. <laughs> Um, oh, a little streaking on the field. We talked about homecoming mm -hmm. earlier. You know, you gotta have the streaker. Yeah, um, you can celebrate in the birthdays. Uh, the Bell Grove. Bell, they ties in with Bell Grove for me. Um, <laughs> just leave it there. <laughs> I don't want to know Max war stories of him and his reenacting. Um, yes, naked dancing. The um, 
we'll leave it there. I've, I've said too much already. <laughs> Sorry, Brittany. Um, the now, what's what's best for celebrating? It depends on what I'm celebrating. Yeah. It's the yeah. If it's, it's celebrating a wedding, um, dressing up, looking all fancy, um, or you know, a black tie affair kind of thing. If I'm doing something, um, celebrating Fourth of July, I'd say a wool kilt. You know, my ungrateful colonial shirt <laughs> yeah and a pair of sneakers and blowing things up um here's here's to blowing things up this weekend everyone um as long as it's not fingers indeed <laughs> blowing off um yeah i don't know what's your what's your celebration outfit mac celebrate good times come on <laughs> so I just i just started thinking of, i mean when i think of celebrate like it's I guess I'm thinking more casually, like it'd be hanging out with a group of people, and yeah. Um, so if for if for the most part, it'd be t-shirt, five yarder, and sneakers. Like, I, fair. I it's it's a hard question because it it depends on what you're yeah what now, you're doing. I'll say this as well. Now, I've been known to cut a rug on occasion. Um, I'm a dancing fool. <laughs> Four or five, you know, drinks at a wedding, and I am I am the king of the dance floor with all the ladies. Um, and my wife just going, oh, God, why is he doing this? Why? He can't dance. Don't matter. Don't care. Um, so I would say my celebration outfit would probably be um, temperature-driven, meaning if I'm going to be celebrating at a wedding, it's vest and shirt and... Yeah, I would leave. I would have a tie for the wedding, but it would come off the reception. Yeah. It's it's temperature controlled. I'm out there rocking out mm -hmm. like a rock star. Um, yeah, my Axl Rose going on. You know, the, <laughs> little body swaying mm -hmm. you know, with the kilt swish. Oh, magnifique, indeed. So yes, temperature yeah. driven. My celebrations are temperature driven. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah, I agree. All right, Mr. Mac. All righty. I mind the I mind the bell grove a little bit less on my second one. I let it kind of you know open up a little bit, a little bit of water. It's it's growing on me, kind of like a fungus. Um, <laughs> but but it's it's not as bad as the first one. Hmm. Just putting it out there. So we've got a question for our bigger guys. Um, having issues with the kilts falling off hangers. How do they fix this? <clears throat> kilts falling off hangers. Um, if... Alright, so, you're a bigger guy. You have a kilt on a hanger. Depends what kind of hanger. Um, and let's, let's go to a, a big, bigger guy. Let's say, like, 70 inch waist. Mm -hmm. So it is a even if you fold it in thirds, it can be, you know, uh, 70 inch waist, half of that's 35, center to back, so half of 35 is 17 and a half. Mm -hmm. So 17 and a half inches from the bar to the back of the closet, that's pretty deep. Yeah. So what would I do if I'm a bigger dude? You have two options. Um, one, you can, uh, uh, I'll start with regular, the, the cheap, you probably have these in your house type remedy. <clears throat> Take your kilt and kind of divide it into four. So you have the 
you know, stretch it all the way out. And you have the fringe, the straps, and the edge of the front apron. Attach one hanger near, you know, the center left, or you know, this, this half of the front apron. Next, attach one right above the, you know, the eye hole to the center back, the center back of the pleats. Then attach one from the center back of the pleats over, and then attach one to the other end of the under apron. Fold it in half entirely, and then fold it in half again. Okay. So that you have four hangers aligned, and then you have your kilt folded into quarters. Um, you know, align the, the next, you know, the question marks of the top of the hanger so that they all face the same direction because they are folded over <laughs> four times. Mm. It'll be, let's say, 15-ish. Um, and then you're going to hang that in the closet, and that should be okay depth-wise. Maybe, or maybe it's only 12, but it'll be, it'll probably be okay depth-wise. Option B is we have our kilt hangers, which are four-clip kilt hangers. We have them specifically designed for us. Um, for the most part, one four-clip kilt hanger, they're 20 inches wide, that is, you know, in regular to slightly beyond regular kilt sizes, they work, they work a treat, they're fine, not a problem. Let's say you have a 16-ounce, you know, 10-yard, 11-yard kilt because you're a really, really big dude. In that instance, what I would do is fold it into thirds, just like you're wearing it, um, and then I would attach the front apron and the under apron with the clips, and then four clips across the pleated section, and kind of hang those two in the closet, and that would keep it better supported. Because generally, it's trying to jam too much fabric underneath the little you know, jaws, as it were, is what you end up running into with the problem. That's why it's kind of slipping off. But if you have either very good quality kilt hangers or more pants hangers, like four of them, um, then you can kind of disperse the weight a little bit better across the different hangers. Yeah, we've we've had this we have this issue occasionally over in production when we're making a kilt where it, not even necessarily the a larger kilt. Sometimes if a kilt has a greater hip waist difference. Yeah. Um, we have that issue too, where it'll slide off, uh, especially if it's a 16 ounce versus a 13 ounce still. So in some cases where we've, we've done that, where we've put, used two hangers and, and, and kind of did the fold in half, or like Rocky said, you, you kind of stagger the clips between how the, on the material. And that seems to lock everything in and help, help hold it up. Yeah. Agreed. All right, Mr. Lucas, next question, pretty please. You got it. Uh, this is a follow-up question to when we were talking about athletic socks, crew socks, earlier, wearing them casually, uh, which was from Chris, and he's asking, do you use colored kilt socks or just plain off-the-shelf white? I'll typically Kilt use... socks or crew socks? Crew socks. I'm sorry. You got it. Um, plain white, cream. I wear, I wear gray, black athletic socks. The I, I what do you, feel. What do you prefer? <clears throat> um, what's what's the movie with the no wire hangers? No wire hangers. No wire hangers. No, no cream socks. <laughs> uh, no, the I'm not I'm not quite that that bad. Um, when it comes to especially, well, I'd say for wool, I may for you know kilt hose, I might be, but for for regular crew socks, I'm not that bad. Um. 
I'll wear either white socks or black socks, depending kind of what I'm wearing up top. Um, I would say the vast majority of my socks are black, um, or if I wash them enough times, they become like a dark gray. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, black because it goes with anything. You don't have to worry about color matching. You don't have to worry about it being too dark. My shoes, here, I'm gonna take off a shoe here. So I'm not flashing the camera. Um, my shoes are just, you know, very, very, very plain black shoes. These will match anything that I choose to wear, any tartan, any, you know, doesn't matter. So black shoes for me, are just a go-to. I don't like all the, the, the swoosh and the swoopiness and the straps and the... No, um, just plain black shoes. Don't gotta worry about it matching anything. I am probably a little bit more particular. You got more swoopies there, yeah. Well, well, well my shoes, but with specifically the socks. I wear Puma socks. So they have got little, the little logo with the Puma on. Which changes colors according to the, depending on what socks I have. So I have some that have red pumas, I have some that have orange, I've got some that have blue, and I yes I match them to the kilt that I'm wearing. So like this one has an orange stripe in, so it has an orange puma, puma yeah. on it. My the hat, course. the hat also Matt has got a yellow stripe in the in the kilt, has yellow on the he hat. He is a fashion plate. I I match everything so. The now the question is, does Puma sue us for talking <laughs> about their stuff on the show, or do they sponsor us? I'd be all fine for a sponsor. <laughs> I'd be fine for a sponsor. Not so much the suing part. No, no, <laughs> no. It's yeah. It's 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 personal preference. I wouldn't do color. It's. Colored socks, and I'm going to say this in light of what he just said about matching <laughs> his friggin' Puma logo to his kilt stripes. Um, matching, trying to match your crew socks to the kilt is too much. That's trying too hard in my mind. The Now, they're black socks. They are. Accent, it's, it's not clashing, which is the better part. Um, for me, just don't overthink it too much. Black requires no thinking. That's why I like black. I don't like to think. I don't like to think about anything. Just to... mm. <laughs> a, the entire next show is <laughs> me staring straight at the camera. It's quasi. It's like it's like the Nick Offerman drinking scotch. Mm. You know the 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 peat log and the fire thing. Maybe it's a little bit like that. Maybe it's just Rocky's head is a vacant, you know, vacuum. You can have a couple sips of your. Uh... Oh, I will. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Mr. Mack. All right. So we have Richard asking, in your YouTube clip about Prince Charles, I noticed that he did not wear ghillie brogues, but had wingtips or brogued Oxfords. Should ghillie brogues be kept for formal events? <clears throat> I love when we bring up the prince. We, we got uh, Prince Charles. We got, you know, people... Either love them or hate them. Like, there's a lot of yeah. comments on that. Um, the uh, think what you will of him and the royal family. The man knows how to dress. Um, the uh, uh, do you Gilly Brogues for formal? Technically, no. I can't believe these words are about to come out of my mouth. Buckle Brogues? And I, I may vomit <laughs> as they come out. But, like, Buckle Brogues. <laughs> Are the most formal, 
Um, I hate them. I would not wear them. I will go barefoot before I wear them, but buckle brogues are formal shoes. Um, I wear, uh, uh, ghillie brogues whenever I'm getting dressed up, St. Andrews type stuff. Um, or, you know, nice dinners and that kind of thing. You can also, but you can, for, for smart day wear and things like that, you can wear, or, or even dressy-ish functions, you can still wear, you know, uh, brogue doxfords or wingtips and things like that. It's not... Gilly brogues are not a a thing that are, are relegated to a specific thing, either like uber formal or only like it's they're realistically they're kind of made up in the in the 20th century in as in the same vein as like the Highland shirt is made up. It's to harken back to the old you know the old shoes you know brogues where they're like like basically pieces of leather that are kind of gathered and then laces and then laced up the leg kind of thing. So they're they're a fancification or fantastification. I'm making up words now, of uh, a fantastical thing um, to harken back to that in the same way that the Highland shirt was not a real thing until the 1950s. It was made to look like an old timey shirt, but it is not actually a historically accurate thing. So a lot of guys like Gilly Brogues. I like them myself. I think they look nice. I think they kind of give a little dash a little something to the outfit um but at the same time yes you can just wear oxfords or wingtips so do you think it's more of like the romanticism 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 that's the word i'm looking um, for yeah have another scotch man yeah. um <laughs> you gotta catch up <clears throat> it's to some degree yes um like a lot of this stuff is it's it comes that's... from victorians it comes from like ways to throw like the fly played all of it is meant to kind of think of it this way it's giving a nod to something mm -hmm. that came before and it's making something new up but it's a nod to what came before and that's kind of how it evolved over time and time will tell whether specific aspects become accepted you know over the longer term so gillybrogues yes they've become accepted fly plates i would say have become accepted as something to wear for formal, you know, especially for grooms and things like that. Although you don't have to wear it to be formal. Um, Highland shirt for a casual throwback-y type outfit has kind of become accepted. Yeah. It's still, I have mixed feelings on it, um, but it's, yeah, versus something that's brand new, which has only been around in the last 20 years. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but it's kind of, it evolves over time. It is still fashion. It is tradition, it is heritage, but there still is fashion. It still does move forward. It moves forward much slower than regular fashion, like Paris catwalk kind of thing, but it is still fashion on some level. And then when you get a when you get a, a package, when you hire get a hire package, yeah, from package. yeah, from uh, from UK, Gilly Brogues, I'm assuming, are gonna be included in that. It depends on the company. A lot oh, okay. of times, if they include shoes, okay. it will probably be Gillybrokes. If they don't include shoes, they may just say, just wear your wingtips because they don't want to muck around with the shoes. So it's kind of become the... De facto. The, the bog standard. Yep. <laughs> See what you did yep. there. The dad part of me loves that pun. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's... Gillybrokes are the bog standard. You can wear them for things. You don't have to wear them. They are... 
tradition-ish now, but it's not hundreds of years. It's a hundred years, if that makes sense. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mr. Lucas, what do we got Mr. going Lucas, on out in the audience there? All right. We have another formality question, this time from Carl, who's asking, what's the general opinion regarding wearing an Argyle jacket and vest rather than a Prince Charlie for black tie? And would a fly wing collar shirt with covered placket still be the fly best Fly wing collar? Fly wing collar shirt. Not 100%. Not 100%. Me neither. If we're, I'm if not, we're I don't do a whole lot of super duper fancy stuff. Um, <clears throat> might just be a fly shirt. You know, fly. Pretty fly <laughs> for fly. a kilt guy. Yeah. Um, the, uh, uh, a, an argyle for formal. Um, I would say an argyle is, strictly speaking, an argyle is not black tie. It is not formal. A Prince Charlie is formal, a regulation doublet's formal, a, a sheriff mirror is formal. Those things are formal. An argyle is not formal. Will 99.9% .9 of the people have any idea? No. Can you wear it for formal to 99.9% .9 of things? Yes. Um, when I'll, I'll take my own life experience as it were. If you're going to a wedding and you're the only guy in the kilt and it's black tie, not many weddings are really actually black tie anymore, but if it was fine. Um, if you're the only guy in the kilt, how about it? 99% of those people, most people will not know. They will not care. They'll just see you wearing a kilt. They'll assume that it is the right thing for you to be wearing. No one's going to actually ask a question. If you're going to a black tie event where everyone is going to be kilted, then the proper jacket to be wearing is, or the, the Argyle is not a proper jacket to be wearing. It should be a, uh, a Prince Charlie, or as I said, a Montrose, or regulation double, something like that. Now, in reality, what, what you know, boots meet the ground. Where rubber meets the road. I'm gonna come up with all the analogies. Um, what are you gonna see at that event? Will somebody be wearing an Argyle jacket to a black tie event? Yeah, probably. Most people in the room will not understand the nuance of the difference, even at a St. Andrews thing um, or a an, an upper crusty thing or whatever. Um, most people are just, they don't understand the nuance of the difference and that's the thing they have, that's what they're gonna wear. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about it too much so if you have an Argyle and that's what you are thinking about wearing because you don't want to spend the money, I'd say don't worry about it too much. If you're looking to purchase one or the other, then I'd say for black tie, the, re the correct, the right jacket to wear is a Prince Charlie. Now, you're, not, you're probably not going to get as much use out of it. So the Argyle, sorry if I stole your, your thought no, there. The Argyle is going to be a bit more versatile where you can wear it dressier and dress it down a touch as well. Yeah, that's where I was going to go. Is It's most of the guys that seems like we get or we talk to seem to want a jacket that is going to be, they're going to get the most mileage out of. And Charlie, you're going to get, especially with black tie, how many times are you actually going to be wearing that to a black tie event? If you're getting invited to 
you know, black tie events every year, then okay, then maybe that's what you go towards. But if you're going to wear it to a black tie plus a wedding plus church, church, plus a nice date night, graduation, yeah. like that type of stuff, then okay, then then the Argyle you're going to get that, that mileage out of. So, yeah, then that's the way I would go. Now, I will say this. <clears throat> if you're going, if you do go the route of getting a Prince Charlie, I would say get the Prince Charlie, but don't buy the Argyle. For your second jacket, thinking ahead for you, I would get a tweed jacket and vest. If you think of, here, here's the scale of formality. Tom, put a, put a bar in right here. <laughs> so, now, on this end is the formal. And this end is the less formal. The Prince Charlie is going to cover the most formal to about here. The Argyle is going to cover about here. A tweed jacket is going to cover here. So you want to, the tweed jacket is going to be more versatile for you in the long run and cover up to most events where you would wear a Prince Charlie. So it's kind of, you have two jackets, the right horse for the right course versus one that kind of splits the difference, but isn't quite white or black tie kind of thing. And it's a little bit fancy for smart day wear, but a tweed jacket will be good for day wear. A Prince Charlie will be good for formal stuff. So if you're going to get two, Prince Charlie and Tweed. If you're going to get one, maybe just the Argyle or just the Tweed if you don't plan on doing anything super fancy. Maybe you just rent that at some point later down the road. Mm -hmm. Does that make yeah. sense? No, I like that's a very good way of putting it. I like the little scale. Thank you. And I like the better when the graphic gets there, too. Oh, it's going to look spectacular. It's amazing. Tom, it's going to have spectacular graphics. <laughs> All right, Mr. Mac. All right. So we have Charles and Aaron. Uh, they have asked similar questions about wearing kilts in the UK. You've talked in past about how daily kilt wear is largely a phenomenon, uh, and it isn't common in Scotland, let alone Ireland, Wales, etc. So how do you? So what do you do to recommend to someone who's planning to visit one of those places? Wear them, leave them at home. Uh, Rocky has mentioned. <clears throat> How it is easy for him because he can point out kilts that are that are your business. Uh, what about the rest of us who don't uh, have a kilt business? Um, some of us are peacocks and are and are and are huge introverts who are okay being seen, but don't always ever want to talk to strangers. Okay. So you would be peacock, but you don't want to be talked to. Okay. So we got a two-part question. Um, first part is essentially, if I'm understanding this correctly, you're going to the UK, do you wear a kilt? Where do you wear a kilt? That kind of thing. Yep. The second part of the question is, I want to stand out, but I don't want to be noticed. Yep. Got it. Makes sense? Makes no sense. <laughs> uh, the <clears throat> If you're going to the UK, do they wear kilts in Scotland? How many people... In kilts will you see on your trek through Edinburgh and through the Highlands or whatever? Three. Um, and that's being generous. <laughs> the uh, it, No, they don't wear kilts that much. They are generally reserved for tuxedo, you know, equivalent. Um, for the most part, kilts in the UK are worn as something formal. It is their national dress, but it is the fancy national dress. It is not something that they wear, generally speaking, on a daily basis. In the US, we kind of view them differently. 
Kilts to us are, we also view them as, you know, fancy dress and things to wear to formal events, but we also view them as an extension of our heritage. If you live in Scotland, you're there. It's obviously, you're experiencing your heritage, you're experiencing the country every single day. In the US, if you're trying to experience your ancestors, your family history and that kind of thing, you outside of the outside of US, your American experience, if you're trying to experience something from over there, the kilt is a visible, tangible, physical manifestation of that heritage. So we wear them over here as an extension, as an outward visual representation of that heritage. If you were over there, they're not going to be worn that much. You will be seen as a tourist. Now, it's not necessarily a bad thing. You are a tourist. You're over there trying to experience what Scotland is and what it was. You're trying to see, you know, the, you know, Culloden Battlefield at the same time as downtown Inverness. There is a beauty in Scotland of having history surrounded by the rest of contemporary current Scottish culture. Inverness Castle sitting in the middle of the town with a bunch of shops all around it, you know, around the outside. Or Edinburgh Castle on the top of the, you know, on the top of the hill with the entire Royal Mile lined with fish and chips and, you know, telephone, you know, uh, T-Mobile shops and whatever. It's, it's a wonderful, beautiful, juxtapositioning of heritage and culture and history with everyday current today's life. Um, so you get all of that when you go traveling over there. You will not as a tourist see many people in kilts. That's okay. Do it your way. If you want the to wear a kilt as part of the experience, if you wear a kilt now, on a regular basis, as part of your, like who you are as a person, it's a piece of clothing, wear it over there. Yes, you're gonna be seen as a tourist, but it doesn't matter because you are. You're being authentic to who you are. And what's the worst case scenario? Someone's gonna think you're a tourist, and part B, people are going to talk to you as if you're a tourist, and probably give you tips and tricks and things to see while you're there. Oh no, please don't tell me the best bar to go drink in that's local. Oh no, please don't tell me about the best restaurant in town. Who cares? It's part of the experience. If you're comfortable wearing a kilt and you want to wear it over there, wear it. You're going to be seen as a tourist, but it doesn't matter. If you are uncomfortable because you want to get the authentic, everyday, current Scottish experience and you're not in it for history's sake per se, then don't wear a kilt and you won't be seen as a tourist until you open your mouth and you have a Canadian, American, Australian, whatever accent. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes, that makes perfect sense. The, um, uh, wow, my thoughts went <laughs> right the out second, the window. Are you going to go in the second question about what their, uh, you know, how is... do you stand out without standing out? How do you stand out without people talking to you? Oh, what I was going to say is we don't, we don't experience, I mean, I, as far as I know, there's no, like, we don't really have a national dress. So it is, a lot of it is, like, hard for us as Americans because we're the this melting pot of, of, of everything. We don't, it's hard for us to, to go, to see 
we put everything in a different light compared to what what everybody else in the world how their their dress is so we hold it up a little bit more a higher pedestal in in some ways so yeah so it's like us you know whether it is scotland or we're going to mexico or we're going to japan we're you know we're wearing some of those things that don't necessarily get worn every day because again we're trying to feel closer to that place agreed and i would i would say this <clears throat> a the closest thing to national dress is probably a pair of jeans. So um, jeggings? Yeah. No, not jeg. I, I mark my words. I will not wear jeggings ever. Period. Tom, do not put that graphic in. Um, the uh, now he wants to. So, so the no it, jeans are probably the closest thing to American national dress and a cowboy hat. But it's not. It's not the America is huge. It's not mm. the authentic experience of most Americans. I will say this as well. With how, with mass media, with, you know, airplanes going from, you know, country to country to country, with, with international travel, the, the, the definition of international dress, and with, I would say this, with Hollywood movies being exported and American culture being exported across the world, national dress at some point will just kind of be homogenized because there's a lot more cross-country, cross-border things there's going to be regional flavors, but yeah. within, I, I'll, I'll go on record. Sure, I'll be dead by that. <laughs> I'll go on record by saying that within 300 years, there's going to be a lot more homogenization of style of dress and fashion across the world um, because of the influence of different countries and different cultures. It's not going to be so distinctly you know, Japanese or so distinctly Scottish or so distinctly German or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's, there's going to be just a more, there will always be the things that have existed. There will be kilts in 300 years. There will be lederhosen in 300 years. There will be dashikis in 300 years. But everyday garments that people are actually wearing 300 years from now, mark your calendar, folks, <laughs> 300 years from today will be much more homogenized than we are now mm. as things move around the world and there's much more free travel and free experience in different cultures. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. Yes, I want to, if that's true, I want a statue erected in my honor <laughs> for calling that stuff. You! Calling your shot, huh? Exactly. Point to the fence, Babe Ruth in it. Indeed. All right, Mac. So the second, the second half of this question uh, is more in the lines of, I want to be a peacock, but I don't want anybody to talk to me. Suck it up, Buttercup. It's when you wear a kilt, you are you are you are assuming a mantle. You are assuming the yoke. You are putting this on yourself. And we on this show and our you know our Facebook group and everything, we always talk about being a good ambassador, period, of whatever you are, whether that's kilts, whether that's being an American, a Canadian, whatever. Um, you are an ambassador of your community. And when you wear a kilt, you are more than likely, outside of a festival, you are more than likely the only person who that, who everyone you come in contact with is, you're the only one that they're going to see in a kilt that day. So you are representing all of us. So you're assuming that that is going to happen. Now, and when you wear a kilt, you are wearing something different. You are the peacock. You are 
the 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 weird dude to some degree or the confident dude in you know in depending on how you look at it so you have to understand and accept that you are going to get talked to period like there's there's no way around it it's human nature i see someone wearing something interesting they seem approachable it seems fun they seem confident i want to understand i want to talk to them or hey that's my heritage too I must have something in common with them. I want to talk to them. So you're going to get it. And if you're an introvert, I am not, obviously. So, but if you are an introvert, it's it's part of the territory. It's you're going to get talked to. You're going to get, you know, in those conversations, you just kind of have to have some, some prefab things that you want to say, prefab ways to kind of shorten the conversation or get out of it. But there's not a lot you can do to be like, you're going to wear a t-shirt that says F off, don't talk to me while you're wearing your kilt. It's outside of literally a sandwich board of don't talk to me. You're going to get talked to. You have to accept it. As I said, suck it up, buttercup. Yeah. I mean, even like for us, even just going to the store, just going to get milk, somebody's going to talk to you. Somebody's someone will bound to talk to you no matter how you look at it. Or it's, looked at you sideways or kind of like, mm, yeah, thing or know? taking out the cell phone and doing yeah, it quick. Yeah, so it, it's, I've kind of just gotten used to it and, and even just the little picture thing kind of got used to that. Now, other people that are usually with me, i.e. my wife, she becomes a little, little chihuahua and goes after him. But it, it's... <laughs> The Britney just yipping there. Yeah. Yes, but yeah, you're gonna you stand out. Yeah, it's if it is. I am selective. I will say this: I am selective where I am going to wear the kilt. If I'm going out on a date with my wife, and I really want to focus, and it's you know that my my mother or my mother-in-law is taking Liam for the evening and we're going to have a nice romantic dinner and it's just going to be the two of us and we're going to have deep, meaningful conversation connecting our souls, <clears throat> then I won't wear a kilt because I don't want to be interrupted. I don't want to be talked to. I don't want to be the center of attention. I want to focus on her and focus on one thing and one thing only. I don't want to be bothered with other people talking to me. And... It's, it's, you're, you're, you have the ability to be a celebrity or not be a celebrity if you're wearing a kilt. You're choosing to be the mini celebrity. You're choosing to be the guy that wants the attention. And it's difficult if you're antisocial or if you're, if you're an introvert and you don't really want to talk to people, but it's the price you pay for fame. It's like asking to be a celebrity and then getting to be a celebrity and complaining that the paparazzi are taking your picture. Yeah, no shit. You wanted to be a celebrity. It's it's the cost. Mm -hmm. You pay the cost to be the boss. So with the kilt, though, you have the option to like literally turn it on, turn it off. So on the days where you're feeling a little bit more extra extroverted and you don't mind talking to people, then sure, slap on the kilt, head out and do your thing. If you're just like, I really don't want to talk to anybody today, then leave the kilt at home because people are going to want to talk to you. And if you still want to wear a tartan or still want to that, there's always other things you can do. You can wear a flat cap or, or a, a tie. Yeah. There's other ways that you can you can show that without 
standing out, not out being that peacock. Yeah. It's the little details that you can add to your own outfit. Yeah, those two things are diametrically opposed. Mm -hmm. Wearing a kilt and not wanting to talk to people. You could choose one, pick your battle. Mm-hmm. Mr. Lucas. Yeah, I would I would chime into that real quick and say the most common question, at least in talking to the guys downstairs if they're out in public, people ask, hey, do you play the bagpipes? Is there a parade? Is there a Highland Games going on? Something like that. To which those sorts of questions I'll, I'll say, hey, you know, there is this really cool event that goes on this time of year. You should check it out. Maybe they go and take their family and you give them something special. So you never know what people are going to uh, people are going to go out for. In that same vein, if you want to break people's brains, well, you actually play the bagpipes. <laughs> yeah. But if someone asked me, you know, do you play bagpipes? Nope. <laughs> oh, is there is there a Scottish event? No, no. The record's just scratching. I know, it, it's like you can see the, the Greers <laughs> grinding to a halt. The mouse fell off the wheel in their brain, and they can't put you into the box that they want to put you in, and they don't know how to extrapolate. If you want to let them off the hook, you say, oh, it's oh, it's part of my family heritage, or I'm a kilt maker, or that kind of thing. But it's fun messing with people. Mm -hmm. yeah. Theoretically, you'd go back and say, yes, I do. And they'd be like, oh, wow, you have bagpipes? You magically pull up bagpipes, you know, just start playing horribly. And like, what do you mean? Like, I didn't say I played them well. I just said I played them. <laughs> Come on. Um, question from Kevin Campbell about ski and dues. Are they always worn? Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't fit in my crew socks. Um, <clears throat> now, the, the skin do is kind of a ceremonial, traditional, you know, hangover. Um, leftover from, you know, olden times, shall we say, um, where it's 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 become more decorative and symbolic. I don't know if symbolic's the right word, but I'll say it. Um, and you just, you know, jam it in the top of the sock. They're not often utilitarian. They're not often very sharp. They're more letter opener kind of quality blade. Um, so no, most guys who I know who are knife guys, um, who really like to carry a knife, either carried in their sporing or, you know, on one of the straps on their kilt. Um, they don't consider skin dues real or, or good knives. They have real knives. They, you know, they, they, you know, they stab people. They do the stabby stab. Yeah, they, they do the stabby stab <laughs> thing. Um, but they're not like good quality, super good quality blades or tanks. Um, so, yeah, it's, is it necessary? No. I think I've backed off. You know, when I first started wearing everything, it was like, oh, got to wear it. And I think I've noticed myself less and less pulling it out of the box and actually wearing it. And I think the, probably the most utilitarian one is the, the skin brew, the, the the bottle opener one. That's the one that I would probably use the most. I almost spit coffee right there. <laughs> yep. Now, the, uh, uh, yeah, the skin brew, which is just basically a, a bottle opener instead of a blade. Um is more I get more use out of that mm -hmm. than I would out of an actual knife. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those things where when somebody's buying a, a kilt outfit, head to toe, and if somebody's on a budget and says, "Hey, you know, this is a little bit too much. What's one? If I have to leave something off, what do I leave off? Typically, it's the skin do. It's not necessary for the outfit. It's a little bit expensive." Um, and it's one of those things where it's it's a nice to have, it's not a need to have. It's mm. the best yeah. way of putting it. Yep. All right, Mr. Mac. 
All we'll right. do one more from you and then one more from Mr. Lucas. And then the question of the day. I actually have a question of the day planned dun, today. Dun, dun. Indeed. I, act, I want your actual opinion. So if you're still sticking around <laughs> for this, answer this question. All right. We have Joe asking. We, uh, the He's like, could we address the idea of who would receive ownership of a restricted tartan if the owner passes? <clears throat> so, there's a registered tartan. The Scottish Tartan uh, Registry, and it says restricted. Now, I'm going to make a couple claims. One, I am not a copyright attorney. Um, number two, we are talking about restrictioned on a tartan, not a copyright on a tartan. Those are two different things. Um, the tartan register just records the tartans, and as part of the recording process, they're going to ask you, do you want it restricted? Meaning, either who can wear it or who can weave it or that kind of thing. And it's kind of a gentleman's agreement between all the mills in the UK, whether they weave something that's restricted or not. Um, so if it is a restricted tartan, not copyright restricted, and the owner dies, you know, kicks the bucket, pops his cogs, whatever you want to call it. Um, the, I spoke to Brian Wilton from the uh, Scottish Tartan Authority about this a couple times, you know, years ago. And basically his thought on it is if the person who designed the tartan dies and you can't get a hold of next of kin, it's not an organization, it's just an individual. In that instance, document what you've tried to do to get a hold of them and then weave it. It's one of those where it's, it's kind of easier to ask forgiveness than permission. I'm not saying do anything untoward. I'm not saying doing anything illegal. I'm not saying doing anything unethical. But you're trying your best to get a hold of somebody who would be next of kin or give you permission to do a thing. And if you can't, then weave it, but document the process. We did that for one of the tartans that we carried. Um, so I'd say make your best effort. That is what was told to me. Do, you know, do your best and, and make an honest, earnest attempt to get permission. But if you can't, then thinking of it, you know, in, in you know, 30,000 foot view, the tartan will die. Like no one will ever weave it again. If, if the, the owner, the restriction holder, um, the designer dies and no one cares about it, then it's literally just going to be a footnote in history if no one continues to weave it. So again, do your homework, try to find someone to give you permission. If it's an organization or a university or whatever, um, try to find someone to say, Hey, you know, you're the next best thing I can find to approve this. Are you guys okay with me doing it? You're just doing the honorable thing of trying to make sure no one's you're going against their wishes. But if there's no one to go against, then yeah, I'd say ask forgiveness, not permission. And as long as you're not like a company making billions of dollars off it, and you know, it's now your trademarked, your, you know, your, the, the tartan you're gonna use for all your marketing materials, you should be fine as a one-off kill. Yeah, I even think the process we took, it took it took a long time. We, we definitely went through and, and tried multiple times to try to contact. So it, it's, it, it can't be just a one and done. Oh, I didn't get a hold of them. 
Like yep. it's got to be a process. You get it's got to be a, a longer a long process. Yeah, show an effort. Basically, yeah. it's if the way I think of it, you know, coming back around the other end. If I am the person, let's say you know John Smith designed a tartan, and I want to have John Smith's tartan, but I think he's dead. Either he is dead, or he's uh, or his family own it or whatever. And I weave it and I wear it. And then somebody comes up to me or or they contact me because I was featured in a uh, magazine, I don't know, wearing the tartan and talked about it. Um, if they contact me and say, how dare you wear this? You didn't design it. My family did or my father did or I did and I'm not dead. Um, surprise, I'm not dead. Um, what are you going to say to them? And if you say, look, the email you have listed in the register is this. And I tried contacting that, but the email bounced back. And I tried writing to the address on file, but it came back as undeliverable. And I tried contacting X, Y, and Z, and the Tartan register didn't have any updates on any of your information. I really tried, and I'm not doing anything weird with it, but I really wanted to get this one done, and I couldn't get a hold of you. At that point, a logical human, not every human is logical, but a logical human would go, all right. I sorry. Yeah, I forgot to do that. I forgot to update the information. That's fine. And they're not going to sue you over or anything like that. Now, copyrighted is different, <laughs> but registered and restricted, I'd say you're probably fine as long as you're making a gallant, actual, valid effort to try to find the person and contact them. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Last question, Mr. Lucas. Who do we got out there? Last question from Felicia Hudson, and she is asking, are there separate rules for formal and informal for women's clothing and kilting? Probably. <laughs> for women's clothing and kilting. I, I, would, I would respectfully, weirdly put it this way. Women's formal kilting is not a thing. Therefore, there are no rules. Therefore, do follow regular convention. Um, there's no formal woman's kilt, period, because a kilt is a man's thing. A kilted skirt, a hostess skirt, that kind of thing isn't really necessarily formal so much as like a gown. So, but gowns fall within the realm of fashion. So it's. Yeah, it's it's a tangential thing at best, and it falls more under fashion than it does heritage. Um, yeah, that's not a good answer, but I'm I'm pleading ignorance on the topic, um, so that is my answer, Mr. Lucas. Give me another one. Another question. Yes. Okay. I don't want to end on that. I don't want to end on a I have no idea question. <laughs> Got it. Question about the Balmoral Tartan. This is a silly question. Okay. What's the penalty for a peasant to wear the royal Balmoral Tartan? A game misconduct. I was going to say flagellation. <laughs> Whipping. Post. Um, this still do beheadings? I don't think so. <laughs> Blood Eagle? Um, no. The, um, there's... I will say this. There's no penalty, but no one 
outside of an individual that you happen to know would probably weave it. Um, the mills in the UK would not weave the Balmoral Tartan out of respect for the royal family. For those that don't know, the Balmoral Tartan is a like two-tone gray with a red stripe tartan that is strictly for the royal family. Um, so yeah, it, it wouldn't be woven. Therefore, even if you said, hey, I wanna weave this one, they would probably, the mills would probably be like, yeah, no, we're not supposed to do that one, so no, and they wouldn't do it. Um, so yeah, you could maybe get some kind of close approximation woven or trick someone into weaving it, but they wouldn't do it of their own accord. They wouldn't do it knowing what it was. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little, a little fact with a little nugget. Um, the, uh, the Mill House of Edgar, when they came out with a, uh, a whole range of tartans um, the, with the, like marled yarns, they are now called the Heberdeen Collection or Heberdean Collection. Originally, they called them the Balmoral Collection, but they were approached by the royals and said, uh, or the, you know, somebody representing the royal family, and said, we do not want you to call this the Balmoral Collection because it is not, it's a confusion with the Balmoral Tartan, and we don't want there to be any confusion, especially because they're grayscale. So please rename it. And, you know, being respectful to the royal family, they did. Um, so there's, you know, ultimately there's no, there's no penalty for it, but no one would weave it. Um, if you want to be that guy and try to have it woven by some hand weaver in Oklahoma that happens to have a loom and you know, have a kilt made up in it just to thumb your nose at the royal family, sure, you do you. But uh, it's, it's not one that would be woven in the UK outside of a royal commission. I'm just picturing the queen now coming and going, uh-uh. Uh-uh. No, no, no. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Question of the day. You guys ready? Question of the day. Boom, boom, boom. Prince Charlie Sporin. This was a Sporin style. Um, it's akin or similar to a dress Sporin or worn at formal kind of functions. Um, this was popular in the, I'd say, early 1900s or so kind of fell out of fashion with, um, in the, I want to say thir 1930s, 1940s, that kind of time frame. Um, it still exists. It's a historical looking thing. It can still be manufactured. There's nothing really wrong with it, but it is very different. Um, normally for formal functions, it is a dress born where there's, it's an oval shape and there's a metal cantle you know, semicircle cantle on top of the sporin. This one has a, it's basically, it's a semi-dress with fur on the flap. I don't know if you can see it in the camera there, but this is all fur around here. And then there's a little metal plate right there in the middle. So what do you think about this? That's the question of the day. Would you wear a Prince Charlie sporin for formal? Should we carry it or give it a miss? Let me know. Thumbs up or... Thumbs down. That's the question of the day. I don't want either of your opinions. I want unfettered, you know, unbiased opinions. Let us know in the comments. Until next time, boys and girls, Slajava. 
Thanks for joining us, guys. Our podcast theme song is Gold and Guns by the Kilmaine Saints. If you have a question for us, you can ask it during our YouTube live stream the first Friday of every month at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. If you want to get social with other kilt enthusiasts, go check out the Kilts and Culture group over on Facebook. You can also find USA Kilts on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or over at our website, usakilts.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, Slanjava.